This week we're reading Parshat Truma, and obviously there's a lot to talk about <coughs> Truma, but we're also, today is the first day of Adar, and as such it's appropriate for us to kind of get <coughs> form. And this year, instead of looking at the Mikra of Esther, I want to take a gander at some themes that show up in Midrash Esther. So a couple introductions to Midrash Esther, and then we'll get going. And then there will be one other methodological point, which is about a Ptichta. I'll explain that when we get there. Uh, Midrash Esther comes in several forms. Uh, the most well-known form is actually what we call the Babylonian Midrash Esther, or Babylonian Esther Midrash, BEM, which is a about approximately six to seven daf consecutive in Masachat Megillah. It makes up the second half of the first paragraph of Masachat Megillah, and it is the only book in Tanakh that gets this kind of treatment. It is a fairly comprehensive midrash going from the beginning to the end, from the Vav of Vahibimeach all the way to uh, Ratsumi the Ravachav at the end of the Megillah, with some very popular midrashim. As a matter of fact, most of the midrashim that are popularized, Vashti's Tale, etc., um, are from that collection. And although the collection is Bavli in its final recension, it includes many motifs that are from Eretz Yisrael. Many of the <coughs> Israel, specifically Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Lazar, uh, are mentioned often in that Midrash. So it's kind of a combination. There is also the Midrash that we refer to as Esther Rabbah, which is really Midrash Esther. It gets called Esther Rabbah because it got included in the printing in the collection called Midrash Rabbah, which has its own history. Uh, and of course, the midrash that collection of midrashim includes ten midrashim: the midrash on Breshit, Shmot, Vayikra, Vamidbar Dvarim, and Rut, Shirashirim, Esther, Echa, and Kohelet. Those are the ten books that are read publicly, and so therefore we have midrashim from the public sermons that were given, as it were. Um, Esther Rabbah itself is a very late midrash, uh, and therefore, as as you see sometimes in midrash Esther, they will reference comments from Bavel that we know from the Bavli. And they'll say, Talman Tanin. And over there, the way they explain it is like this. We, however, in Eretz Yisrael have a different tradition. So it's a late Midrash. There's actually two parts of it. One part is approximately 8th century. One part is actually ninth, maybe even 10th century. Then there's other, mm-hmm. all sorts of other Midrashim around Esther, Midrash Panichirot, uh, Midrash Abagurion, all sorts of other Midrashim. And there's another, uh, two other things that are unique about commentary on Esther. One of them is that there are Targumim. Now we're familiar with Targumim Midrashim, like the Targum Yerushalmi and Targum that's pseudo Jonathan, that's Yonatan, are Midrashic Targumim. They're not translations, they're Midrashic developments in Aramaic. There are two Targumim on Esther, Targum Yishon and Targum Sheni. Just doesn't necessarily mean one came before the other. Uh, that are midrashic, and some of them have very, very long midrashim, but they follow the order of the psukim. Uh, what we're going to look at today is a couple selections from Midrash Esther Rabbah. We're also going to look at another phenomenon, uh, and the phenomenon is known as a ptichta. So we're going to look at Midrash Esther Rabbah and part of the Babylonian midrash. We're also going to look at a passage from the Sifra, from the Midrash Tanaim and Vayikra. Um, we look at uh, Midrash, you open up a book called Echa Rabba or Esther Rabba or whatever, 
And we expect it to be some form of commentary, and that's where we're first misled, commentary on the book of Esther. Midrash is not commentary on the book. Midrash is embellishment, is development, is, is adding new perspectives on the book. It's rarely commentary on the book. But besides that, we expect it to be focused on that book. So Esther Rabbi, we expect to be focused on Esther. There is a phenomenon that shows up chiefly in Esther and in uh, and in uh, Echa, but it shows up in a lot of Midrashim, that is known as a Ptichta. Ptichta in English is called a Proem, P-R-O-E-M, which is an introductory Midrash to the reading of that book. We have, for instance, uh, 36 passages in uh, in Echa Rabbah that are called the Ptichtaot. Some of the very famous Midrashim that we have from Echa are the Ptichta of Echa. And what these were, were sermons or drashot that the Chacham would give before the reading of Echa to introduce it. Now, the style of a Ptichta is to take a Pasuk that's from some other book, uh, not the book you're darshaning on, and weave a Midrashic, it's very artistic, weave a Midrashic tapestry until you end with a Pasuk that you're discussing in that book. By the way, it's not only in books. For instance, the Akedah has a number of Ptichtot. Um, uh, and other famous passages uh, in, in, in Chumash have Ptichtaot. Uh, and so I want to take a look uh, at a Ptichta, one particular Ptichta on Megillat Esther, which I think shines a light not just on Esther, but actually on the text that it's using as its core text. And you'll, you'll see what I mean. And I'm tying this, uh, the title is Midrash Esther and Brit Sinai, which is a big gap and a big jump. So let's take a look at it. So I'll show you the Ptichta first, which is here in um, in Source 6. Source 6 is from, as I mentioned, Masachet Megillah, the second half of the first parak, has a long Midrashic uh, development of Megillah Esther, and it starts with a number of Ptichtaot, Different Chachamim, when they would teach Megillat Esther, this is how they would start. What was Shmuel's kickoff? Shmuel Amar, lo ma'astim velo ga'altim lechalotam, which is a part of a passage from Vayikra. So let's take a look at the original passage, which is in the curse part of Bechukotai, at the end of Vayikra. And it says, v'im lo tishmuuli, and all of these curses, and at the very end of the curse, it says the following. V'zacharti et b'riti Yaakov, so it's four. V'afet b'riti Yitzchak, v'afet b'riti Avraham is kor, v'aretz is kor. Nonetheless, I'll remember the breed with Yaakov, with Yitzchak, with Avraham. I'll remember the land. V'aretz te'azemem, etiretz etshabdotah, but the land will be abandoned by them, meaning I'll get them out of the land. It will then make up for the Shabbatot, v'shamamiyam, by being desolate. V'hem yertu etamunam, they will also get expiation for their sins. Because they were such sinners. And then there's this odd line. Nonetheless, even when they're in their enemy's territory, they're exiled. I have not rejected them. I have not spurned them to have them destroyed. To reject or repudiate my breed with them. Right? 
And now the following line is more critical than we think. I will remember the breed that I had with the early ones with the Avot. I took them out of Mitzrayim in the eyes of the nations. And that's how that passage ends. And that's how that uh, then there's the, the, the coda to the to the Klala. Now this passage is used here by Shmuel as an introduction to Megillat Esther. What does he mean? That God says, I did not reject the Jewish people when they were under the thumb of the Greeks, the the Hanukkah story. When they were exiled by Bavel. To absolutely eradicate them, meaning I didn't allow that to happen. That's our story. Question is, which Parsim this is? And the Gemara then quotes a Brita. This Brita is adds to Shmuel's Ptichta. Shmuel seemed to have built on this, but shortened it. It says, I didn't reject them because I here was the salvation I sent. So in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, I sent the four those four boys who were members of his court to save the Jewish people. So in other words, we see several Midrashim now that see the promise at the end of Vayikra that God says, even when they are in their enemy's territory, I will not abandon them, I will not reject them, I will not spurn them and allow them to be devoured because I am Hashem and I remember the Brit. And the devoured line is a reference prophetically to the events of Purim and to Haman's terrible plan. Now you see the same tichta in Esteraba. In the beginning of Esteraba, you have all the tichtaot. Shmuel patach. The af comes, and again, it starts not with a pasuk in Esther. It starts with a pasuk in Vayikra, but the same pasuk. The af comes up v'yotam be'eretz ovehem lo masim galtim v'chalotam aferbititam ki ani adonai lohem lo masim be'bavel lo galtim madai v'chalotam be'yavan aferbititam malchut harishaa. That's Rome. And by the way, no mention here of. Haman, Kenya Yashon Lokehem, etc. Tani Rabbi Chia, but Rabbi Chia says, Lo maltim bimei aspianus, Lo galtim bimei tarakinas, that's Trehan, Lechalotam bimei Haman, and there Haman comes in. Now, um, how are they connecting this Pasuk in Vayikra, that I will not reject them, I will not spurn them, to utterly devour them. How are they connecting that with Haman? And the answer seems to be very straightforward, which is that the text says, even when they are in exile, in the land of their enemy, I will not spurn them and allow them to be utterly destroyed, utterly eradicated. When's the one time in history that we can look at, certainly from the perspective of the Liz Chachamim, looking backwards, what's the one time in history we can look at to see that there was an actual genocidal threat against the Jewish people in Totem while they were in exile. The answer is the Tzipurim story. So the Chalotam means Haman. And there's nothing very earth-shattering about that revelation. But there's something else that happens here in Vayikra that's kind of curious. 
You take a look at the the blessing and the curse. Start here in source four. And start in source three. And I'll just quickly summarize. The blessing starts. You're going to have lots of great crops and you're going to have lots of wealth and you'll have security and you'll walk upright, etc. And then, of course, if you don't listen to me and you don't do it, then I'm going to curse you and it's sevenfold and you're going to be... And now you wonder if at the end of this road, you do not hear a Bnei Yisrael changing. You do hear about but it's not so clear that they actually are doing that. By what right are they saved? The end of the Tokacha in Vayikra, unlike the one in Zvarim, ends with salvation, and ends with return, and ends with being restored, and with the Brit being revivified. So by what right does that happen? If you think about it, in Vayikra, this is a question. Meaning, it's not a question of history, it's a question of Vayikra, Parshanut. How do you get from you don't listen to me, I'm going to hit you again. You don't listen to me, I'm going to hit you yet again. And sevenfold for your sins. And you continue to be stubborn, I'm going to hit you again. But I'll remember the Brit and bring you back. By what virtue? So I want to roll back and take a look at Vayikra again, in context, and ask a different question. The last three chapters of Vayikra, in the, in the chapter division that we have, form a, a discrete element in Vayikra. When was Sefer Vayikra and where was Sefer Vayikra dictated? And the answer is very straightforward. In Ohel Moed, it starts from the beginning. The very first pasuk, when the cloud comes down and God's presence rests on the, on the Mishkan and the and Hashem, as promised, speaks to Moshe Ben Shnei and gives him mitzvot, korbanot, and miluim, and tumah v'tahara, and kaparat hamikdash, and arayot, and moadim, all of Sefer Vayikra is given in Oham Moed. And then, suddenly, we get an interjection. After the moadim, and that kind of odd little collection of laws at the end of Emor, we get this introduction, which we don't have elsewhere, v'adabar Adonai Moshe, v'har Sinai lemor, hence the name of the parsha, v'har. And what's given at Har Sinai? Shemitah, Yovel, and then a bunch of laws that look like something of a replication from Parshat Mishpatim about Eved Ivri and about Amma Ivri, I suppose seemingly, and uh, several of those laws are explicated along with the laws of um, of Gulat Karka and of and of, uh, of Kenyan Metaltalin. And Neshech and Tabit, many of the laws that are found somewhere in Kedoshim and somewhere in Mishpatim seem to happen again here. But there's something else that goes on. The, the uh, text doesn't just present a series of laws, or shall we say a grouping of laws. They seem to be a sequence of laws. There's a famous drashah, Rabbi Yosef Hanina, says, look how bad it is to do, to do work with, to make money off of Shvid produce. So you start with that, and then you end, and he follows one thing after the other, a person sells something. Then they have to sell their house. Then they have to sell their land. Then they have to sell themselves to a Jew. Then they sell themselves to a non-Jew, etc. And they go down the scale of, of a person's fortune based on their behavior. But I want to show you what happens towards the end of that parrot. The, and, and you wonder, why is this the Bahar Sinai point? 
וכי תשיג יד גר ותושב עמך, ומך אחיך עמו. You have a ger toshav, meaning somebody who's not Jewish, but who's kind of uh, joined on, you know, as a, a ger toshav to the nation. And he's become impoverished. And he ends up getting sold even to a stranger who's not part of the community. After he is sold, he has to be redeemed. One of his brothers has to redeem him. You have an obligation to redeem your brother. Either his cousin, his uncle, or his cousin should redeem him. Somebody else in the family should redeem him. Somehow he can make the money and he can redeem himself. Right? And it goes through some of those laws. And then finally, So when we're in charge, we can force this non-Jew, to liberate this fellow when it comes to Yovel. And then at the end, there's the statement, which on the surface is very makes a lot of sense here. But Israel are my Avadim, not Avadim la Avadim. They don't belong to anybody. They belong to me only, which is the whole story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. However, lurking under the surface, I think there's a much more profound message in these psukim. And I'll line up the issues. Suddenly, at the end of Ayikra, we have a return to Har Sinai. We have the laws of Shemitah Ovel, which all of them end up being about the interconnected relationship and responsibility of one Jew to another. They have to do with your rights to buy back your land that you're sold, your ties to the land are very strong, but they end up with this obligation to redeem a fellow Jew, to redeem ideally a relative. If not, then a fellow Jew should redeem him with the explanation that we are all avadim to Hashem. And this is almost immediately followed. There's two more psukim at Shabbat and Mikdash. The, there is, is almost immediately followed by the bracha and the tochacha. And remember how the tochacha ends. No matter what, I'm going to redeem you. No matter what, I'm not rejecting you. How do these things fit together? So I want to show you one more midrash and then bring it all together in what might be a surprising way. And time permitting, we have one more surprise at the end of the uh, at the end of the shiur. Midrash and Esther Rabbah, this is from the second later part of Esther Rabbah, has the following midrash: Amar Rabbi Brachia, Hakadosh Baruch Hu Katav Gulat Yisrael B'Torah. God already inscribed the redemption of the Jewish people in the Torah. Dichtiv. Now you would think that they would quote a pasuk about Yitziat Mitzrayim, or quote a pasuk about Lo Ma'astim V'Lo Galtim L'Chalotam, I have not rejected them, I will keep them. Instead, what pasukim does Rabbi Rachel quote? V'chi Tasig Yad Ger V'Toshav If you end up with a, end up enslaved to a Ger V'Toshav. Who's that? Zehaman. In other words, the pasuk in Vayikra is prophetically telling us about not Haman the man, but Haman, that kind of character. Shinit Kadel, became wealthy, and he was ready to pay off the king. Of course, Haman is from Amalek, which means he's not a homeboy among the Persians and Medeans, who are not Semites. He's an outsider. So this outsider rises to power. And his brother becomes impoverished. 
Who's that? Elu Yisrael. <clears throat> this is Am Yisrael who have become impoverished in what sense? As Midrash tells us in other places, in the Kiyu Mitzvot. Vinim Ger Toshav. And they get sold the Ger Toshav. Shemachram Achashverosh Lahashmu Aman Lashmid Larogul Abed. Achashverosh agreed Kiyu to sell them for the 10,000 talents of silver to Haman. And notice, it's going through the Psukim about redeeming a fellow Jew. Because Laeker Mishpachat Ger, Chazal understand to be, you're sold to do work for an Oved of and actually serve the, serve the functions, not the worship of the Avodazara. That's part of the Midrash, that Aman declares himself to be Avodazara. After we sold, they'll be redeemed. This is what the halacha is. You have to redeem your fellow. What's the drasha? God redeemed them after they were sold by a Who's that? Zem Mordechai. How did Mordechai get there? What's the very last phrase of the Megillah? Ratsui Lerov Echad. So Echad Me'achad Yigalen was an allusion to Mordechai. O Dodo, O Ven Dodo, and this one's easy. Zu Esther, because what's Esther's relationship? Bat Dodo of Mordechai. V'nigalu Yisrael al Yada. Now, the Midrash itself is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It takes a pure halachic series of psukim at the end of Vayikra that require of anybody who's Jewish to act to redeem their close relative. And if that person doesn't have a close relative, any other Jew has to step in to redeem him from being enslaved to a non-Jew. And to to force a, a buyout and to free him. And remember that they that the explanatory pasuk at the end is Kilivina Israel Avadim Avadayim, which we understand to mean again on the state, state basic level, and it's true. They belong to me, says God. They don't belong to other people. I get it. But there seems to be something else going on here. And I'd like to make the following suggestion to understand what's going on in this Midrash. We have an essential problem in Vayikra, which I mentioned. On the one hand, we're describing a Bnei Israel who are, who are in this curse, have rejected God, they're not listening to him, all of the afflictions he's sending and all the exile aren't doing anything. On the other hand, at the end of that road, God says, I'll remember the breach and I'll bring you back. And I will not destroy you. I will not allow you, allow you to be obliterated. That's an internal problem in that. The second question is, why does this immediately follow after Pashat Bahar? And the third question, which, which nestles over it, is why is this particular section identified with Harsinai? So I'd like to suggest that what this Midrash, putting the Ger Toshav Halachot, Midrashically, into the story of Purim, is teaching us the following thing. By virtue of what will Bnei Yisrael be saved, no matter how far away they've gone from Hashem, no matter how much they do not listen to Him, no matter how much the sevenfold punishments don't make a dent, the extent to which they're ready to take care of each other. 
Parshat Bahar obligates us to behave as brothers towards each other. Almost the entire focus of Parshat Bahar is how we treat each other, not charging each other interest, redeeming each other. It's about our relationship to the land and to each other, mutual responsibility. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu says at the end, Yisrael avadim, there's two statements being made. One is the obvious one, which is, they belong to me. But the other is, they have a mutual obligation and a mutual faith. Now what happens when Bnei Yisrael don't recognize one, but commit to the other? They don't recognize, or they're currently asleep at the switch when it comes to their commitment towards God. But they're still tied to each other and taking care of each other. But as Baruch Hu says, I will redeem you. I will save you. I'm not rejecting you. Because you all recognize something. You all recognize that you're family. Because you're all descended from Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. And therefore, I will remember my breed with Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. And I will not reject you because I made a breed with them to save you. The minute that they forget that, all is lost. The minute that they forget their common past and common fate, then they're lost. And Midrash Esther beautifully brings the two parts in Vayikra together to work as sort of parshanut on Vayikra, or answering questions on Vayikra. Because the Midrash in Esther is saying, lo ma'astim v'lo galtim, lechalotam, is a reference to God not abandoning us during the terrible days of Haman. And then seeing the halachot of redemption as being the story of Purim, we see that it's the mutuality, the the mutual concern that everyone had for each other that ultimately led to their redemption. And that's, of course, the solution that Esther gives to Mordechai. What are the first words that Esther sends to Mordechai as the solution? Lech knos et kol yehudim Gather all the Jews together. Enoch perushahi, the rest of his all commentary. Fast, sackcloth, etc. The main thing is bring them all together. And it's that unity among the people that's ultimately the key, the key to their salvation. It's not enough, but it's the, it's the necessary start, and without it, it won't happen. So that's just as far as the, the, the Midrash goes, and I believe that the Midrash in Esther is serving to bridge the chasm in Vayikra and explain how we get from the people rejecting God and yet being saved at the end. Notice, if you will, during the Tochacha, what is it that the people are accused of? You're not listening to me, but you're not sinning against each other. You're treating each other as family and taking care of each other. Then the Brita vote continues because you all recognize you're part of one family. You all recognize a lineage going back to Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov and a mutual responsibility. The next second thing I want to show you is just Separate from that, but it's something that I couldn't pass by. You know, one of the of the famous phenomena in Megillat Esther, probably the most famous thing about Megillat Esther to its potential detriment, is that God's name is not mentioned. Not only is God's name not mentioned, but there's no overt divine intervention, nothing obvious about it being a religious experience. Rather, it seems to be a great stratagem, and uh, and some deviousness and some uh, playing one against the other that helps save the day. The Midrashim, of course, are suffused with putting God into the text. And here's one example. 
when Esther sends the message to Mordechai, we talked about. So in the Midrash, she says three days. In the Midrash, those three days are the 13th, 14th, and 15th of Nisan. She's going to fast. And Mordechai says back, sends a message back to her in the Midrash, but that's Pesach. How can you fast? She goes, what's the point of Pesach? We're all going to die. So Mordechai accepted it, and he went and did exactly what she did. And now what happened? Mordechai now prays to Hashem. Now, of course, there's no filah in the Megillah itself. And look at his prayer. Now, you, you, God, you know that I wasn't refusing to bow Naman because of pride, my own pride. I did it out of fear of you, for you, fear of you and all of you. I didn't want to give honor that's due to you to a new human, etc. And he goes on with his tefillah. And you can take a look at it. Um, you, they take a look at the source sheet. And then we have a description. Mordechai gets all the kids together, and they didn't have any food. They're in sackcloth, and they're praying, and they're studying, etc. And now we have a tefillah that Esther says. Now, what's curious about this is this is from late Midrash Esther Rabbah, uh, put this at uh, 9th or 10th century. The interesting thing is it has a precedent. You know, when we look at Armageddon Esther, it's 10 chapters. We know what's in the 10 chapters. Many of us know it almost by heart because it's such a popular text. And yet, when you look at the Septuagint and the Greek version of the text, it's not just here and there a small change as we find in the Septuagint throughout Tanakh. It is huge additions. There are six additions to the text of Esther in the Septuagint. One of them is before the whole story starts, that takes place in the second year of Achashverosh, and Mordechai has a dream. The sixth one is at the end of the Megillah. Mordechai gets a resolution to the dream. Is you remember, Amman sends a document out to kill the Jews. We get the whole text of the document. As you remember, Mordechai sends out a text. The Jews can defend themselves. We get that whole text. But in the middle, numbers three and four are a tefillah that Mordechai says and a tefillah that Esther says before she goes into the king to ask for the party. And take a look here at the Septuagint, and you can read it through on your own, and you can see that the core of this text, which is marked as verse 17, all the way through, because it doesn't, it's not, there's no 17, sorry, there's no 16, there's no 18 in uh, in our text, it's 17a, b, c, like that, looks very much like the tefillah that shows up in the Midrash. This is Mordechai's and this is Esther's tefillah. Which tells you that this tradition of a tefillah that Mordechai and Esther each of each said during that critical juncture in the story is something that was an old tradition. The Septuagint put it in, but it was an old tradition that was maintained, and 800, maybe a 1,000 years later, was finally introduced into the Midrash, and therefore we have it in our Midrash. They're not exactly the same, but they're very close. So it's interesting traditions that we have about Esther. That's removed separate from the from the main bulk of the Shi'ur, but I just thought it was a curiosity that I'd want to share with you. But again, the main point of the Shi'ur was how the Ptichta of Esther works not only as a commentary on Esther, but a commentary on Vayikra. 
and explains how in Sefer Vayikra, you can go from the laws of mutual responsibility to the great blessing, but the curse, but the curse has a smiley face at the end of redemption, which seems to be dependent on fulfilling that mutual responsibility that comes before it. So hopefully a different way of looking at, at the Midrash and at Vayikra.